Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes, test each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Paul M., Jared W., Luke A., and Ryan S. On the program today is a new guest, Simon Ridgway, founder of Gold Group Management, a junior natural resource group is with us. Gold Group Management houses three listed juniors and explore Radius Gold, which has a focus in Mexico and Guatemala, Volcanic Gold Mines, a Guatemala-focused exploration company, and Rackla Metals, a Yukon and Northwest Territories explorer. You can learn more about Gold Group Management and Simon and the respective companies by visiting goldgroup.com. Mr. Ridgway, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good, Andrew. How are you? Thanks for the invite. Happy to be here. It's good to catch up finally and get you on the program. And thanks to our mutual friend, Adam Buchanan, which uh, was able to get this set up. This is an introduction program, Simon, so pretty straightforward. We've got a few things to run through here and, and talk just briefly about what you do in the business and your experience. And why don't we first just kick it off here by your views on the market here. Uh, quite a choppy, you know, really five years for this natural resource market, uh, bull market, if you will, been pretty choppy and sideways. And it looks like we're at a pretty interesting point here in 2023. Where do you think capital starts to flow into this sector heavy? And do you think good sentiment returns to the junior sector specifically? You know, what are your thoughts and outlook here in 2023? I think the year started well. I'm pretty optimistic that capital will start flowing in this year, but uh, I've been thinking that for the last couple of years and been wrong the last two. So I like exploration. And I think if you've had good success, you can always find the capital to, to, to you know, for a good project, but it has been a, certainly been a choppy five years. Or more you know you guys are, are focused uh, predominantly gold and other areas of the market but do you have a view on gold here and as an explorationist uh, maybe we can tie this in with your experience a bit having you know discovered some interesting projects over the years and of course the exploration business is quite challenging because there's obviously a lot of failures and projects that just don't reach the economic bar that's needed. But uh, maybe just talk a bit about your experience and your thoughts on gold and tie all that together for us. Well, I, I'll just give a bit of history. I, in, the, in the early 70s, I began just, to, you know, back in the, the days of the hippie days, I began traveling around the world and I, I somehow was a, I, I always wanted to go to the Yukon territory. So in, in about 76, 77, I, I find myself, um, I, Got across on the, on the American continent and drifted up into into the Yukon. But once once arriving there, you know the place is like three times the size of England, and there were two roads through the, the territory. So after being there a few days, I was wondering how am I going to get to see this place? And, and luckily, I bumped into some people who who were going off to to, to do a job with line cutting up in a, a project that's actually a mine at the moment, the Virginia mine up in in uh, Dawson City and just south of Dawson. And um, so I went up and got a job there, cutting line in, in the woods for, you know, going there for 30 days and and uh, come out and get paid. And I think the first time I got paid from doing that work, I, they put more money in my hand than I'd ever had before. So I spent, you know, the next 10 years kind of doing that, working in the, in the, in the bush in the Yukon Territory and Alaska in the summers and then in the winters down on the beaches of 
Gulf of Mexico or other Latin American countries. And but somewhere in the middle of there, I started. I learned how to prospect. Got got the gold bug and, and in Dawson City and and began you know prospecting and and vending my prospects to public companies from Vancouver and then began at some point began running companies myself. The first company I listed was called Tombstone Explorations based upon a rock suite that I'm back working in at the moment. So we'll, we'll go full circle. But Tombstone was listed in about 1991. And uh, I, I took it, you know, the, the biggest investor in it was a guy called Vern Hall, who was he wanted me to move to Venezuela, where he knew there was a lot of gold. So 91, I listed Tombstone and then took it to Venezuela. And, and sort of since then, I've been working for the most part in Latin America, exploring for gold, sometimes silver, other minerals. But for the most part, my focus has always been gold. Like I said, I got the gold bug back in those days. So, you know, since then, I would say now that's 40 years or so of, of exploring and, and running public companies. I've never really tried to predict the gold price. You know, you really need to find a project that's economic at the time of the gold. So trying to trying to pick the right time to be in exploration for gold is a bit difficult. So I really never understood the market as much. I read a lot of other papers, a lot of from other people that do predict the gold price. But I must admit, presently, here we are, you know, 2023, and it feels good. It feels like we're going to get a strong gold market there over the next few months. So let's let's see, let's see what happens. But at 1900 gold, I think companies should be able to make money. Certainly, uh, if the projects are good and the GNA is kept at a reasonable area, plus obviously escalations that we've witnessed over the past, really the last two years in the sector, and some of these CapExes, uh, significant increases, et cetera. Simon, yeah, that's uh, correct. It, I, but, but more of a challenge than the gold price right now is the politics all, all over the world, right? I mean, it's. Uh, especially Latin America, no matter what country you go to. So I just to back up a little, I've, you know, I found with Jorge Ginoso, I founded Fortuna Silver Mines, and Fortuna is a gold producer. It's, it's got a mine in Argentina, it's got one in Mexico, one in Peru, and then it moved to Africa about a year ago. I resigned about six or seven months ago just to get back into what I love, which is the early stage exploration. But I'm just looking at, you know, Fortuna's challenges of producing gold in Argentina and Peru and Mexico, and certainly in, in Latin America, the politics has got very, very difficult. So more important than the gold price is where you find your mind, right? Where to explore. Well, you know what? Hard times, we've seen this before. We've seen these political cycles too. Hard times will shape you up, sober you up to the reality of what mining and natural resources provides in terms of wealth to every country, whether you're an advanced nation or, well, I wouldn't even say advanced, but let's just say you're further along the life cycle in some right. cases of Western nations right. and early stage development in uh, some of these other countries who can use that wealth as well. And you can't replace it. Unfortunately, it's not a replaceable thing. Once that reality comes in, which is probably through hard times, sadly, when that reality comes in, you know, you'll see policies start to go the other direction. Yeah. Have that. I mean, I've spent a lot, I spent a lot of time over the last uh, you know, 10 or 12 years in, in Central America. And as you say, you would think that those countries, Guatemala, um, Honduras, would want to see development so they can create employment and stop having the caravans of people drifting up out of, you know, people leaving home, fathers and children, sons leaving home to get work, you know, the, in, you know back up in the USA because they can't find work in their own country. As you read the newspapers, I always talk about it's the violence that drives people 
in these caravans. It isn't. It's a lack of employment in the countries that does it. The lack of opportunity for them. You know, they they want a better life, but they just can't get it in their in, the, in their own countries because the politics does not change. No, I agree with that, and it's quite a challenging environment. And fortunately, you have inexperienced people that come in and don't know what they're doing with respect to government. And as you know, private sector attracts a lot of talent, Simon. And quite frankly, the government, uh, well. I would say it's second-tier talent, sadly, but that's typically what's gravitated. Let's move on here. Let's talk about uh, just how about a brief overview of Gold Group management. Um, you know, this is kind of an umbrella structure where it oversees a few other companies under the uh, the group. Talk about that structure. We've seen similar structures. Uh, maybe there's some benefits to it. You know, we've seen, you know, the Lumina group out there. We've seen Oxygen Capital, Hunter Dickinson, and others, uh, you know, have these type of structures. But talk about Gold Group and what the focus is a bit, and then we'll dive into some of the companies. Yeah. Well, I started Gold Group, but, you know, I initially, as I, as I said earlier, I started Tombstone Exploration. You know, that I took that to Venezuela. It was quite successful. But, I, you know, as a prospector, which I learned to do in the Yukon, flying, you know, every, every quarter I'd fly out from, from, from Venezuela across uh, Central America and see all those volcanoes and, and rocks. And really, it's very hard to prospect in, in these tropical terrains like Venezuela, where it's all saprolite. So, you know, as I flew over those hills, I always wanted to go back to, to hard rock again. So when I when I left, you know, Tombstone was quite successful. Company raised quite a lot of money, picked up some very good prospects in that Venezuelan gold rush. And at some point I left and, and came back to Vancouver, took over a, a shell and basically took that company to Honduras, um, back into those volcanoes I've been flying over or those hard rocks and, and began prospecting there. I've been very lucky. I had some good success in Honduras. We found a mine called um, the San Martin, um, in a, you know, basically a hot spring gold deposit, um, about a million ounces. Uh, so um, I took that company and then sold, made the discovery, sold it to Glamis Gold. And I came back to Vancouver and formed another company, a new company called Radius Gold, which I still be still in the in the in the group, and went back to Central America again, where I'd had the success. But as I did that, um, people, you know, I had I had some good success, and so I got a bit of a reputation. People bring would bring me ideas, or geos would. So I would kind of grub stake them to to. to to go find things, right? They would come with a concept, I would finance it, they'd go out and, and do it. One of those was uh, Fortuna, a geologist, geologist that worked for me called uh, Oiganosa, came with an idea to start a silver company. So my group staked him, um, and it took me about a year and a half, but we come up with a, con with a project in Peru. So at that point, I decided that, it, you know, running a, running a you know, a, a, an organization where you need CFOs and, and corporate secretary and secretaries and you need access to the market. I decided it was better to to form a group of companies to reduce the overhead so that you wouldn't you know you're not crippling the country with the G and the company with the G and A. So that was really how this the gold group itself started, even though the main, you know, Fortuna Silver Mines was was the initial second company I started when Radius was there. Fortuna is now it's you know billion and a half dollar company trades on New York. It's got mines in Africa and, and three Latin American countries. It's been a very successful company. We still share an office, but it's not part of the Gold Group anymore. It just got too big. So really, the Gold Group started by me funding 
prospects that were brought to me by geos that I thought were capable, and I could house them in the, in the office and reduce their overheads, and often would join the company as chairman. And then, you know, sometimes they, the, the concepts work and sometimes they don't. So I would, I would come up with other ideas for those companies or, you know, other countries to go to take a look at. That's how the concept began. Um, presently, Radius Gold is, is exploring in Mexico. It's got, it started, it went to Guatemala after I, you know, the success in Honduras. We also found a, a good gold deposit in Guatemala, the Cerro Blanco gold deposit, and sold that on, that's a, presently a Landin mining deposit it's trying to get permitted i discovered it with the, with the company in 1998 1999 and grown to about a three and a half million ounce gold deposit but they're still struggling to permit it in in guatemala it was owned for a long time by gold corp the landing group bought it from gold corp so when radius radius made that discovery and moved up to mexico and started exploring in mexico we had a you know a non-compete in guatemala for some years so we went to Mexico, and that's where Radius is focused at the moment. Radius is run by Bruce Smith, a geo that, that brought some ideas to me. Bruce has had some good successes within the gold group and without. He's been with me now for like 19, 20 years. And we present the company. Radius has a couple of very good joint ventures in Mexico, one with Pan American Silver and one with Presnio. So two very good silver projects that have been advanced by majors. And it's got a couple of other projects it keeps 100%. So Radius is really like a project generator, except that we get a bit of a twist on that model. Obviously, we're looking for that one project that we want to keep 100% of. Meanwhile, you get a project, you, you work it up, and then decide if it's, if it's going to be difficult, you know, it's going to need a lot of investment or a little. So basically, based upon that decision, we then joint venture the project or advance it ourselves. And that model, Simon, just give us your take on the prospect generator model in terms of, you know, what Radius is trying to do there. We haven't financed Radius for since 2010, I think, maybe maybe 2011. I mean, basically, we, you know, we've had, we've had some good discoveries, but the, a lot of them have been smaller than, than the big success you're looking for. So, you know, I've found, right. made, made discoveries and sold the project on to keep the company financed. We found had a couple of good discoveries in Nicaragua that turned out to be smaller than I, than I wished. Um, we sold those to B2Gold, one of them is in production now. We sold um, you know, another discovery in Guatemala that turned out to be about a quarter to a half a million ounces, sold that to Dan Capas. So we've kept the company financed by making discoveries and, and making joint ventures and getting getting payments in from those joint ventures. But really, you know, there's, there's different ways to look at the project generator model, but but the way I look, the way I like to see it operate is you, you're looking for that one project you want to keep 100% of and make a big win for the shareholders. I think there's, there's other people have a different way of approaching it, and some of them have been very, very successful, where they have multiple joint ventures, multiple royalties, you know, they become royalty companies as well as joint ventures. But uh, for me, I, 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 like the, I like discovery. So, I, you know, if you can put those big drill holes in yourself, that's what we that's what we're looking for in in Radius and in Volcanic and in Rackler that just recently got financed to look in the, back in the tombstones again. You know, so I think Radius is, will continue doing what it's doing. It's a, Bruce is a great explanation, Geo. He's got a good, great team in Mexico, mostly locals. But we're looking for that one that we want to build up ourselves, have the company taken out. Yeah, that's always the challenge, right, is trying to carry the company capital intensive to do so and then 
ultimately get enough behind it in terms of discovery, et cetera, to actually, you know, result in some value for the shareholders because it can yeah, be quite a struggle. Yeah, you know it is if you challenge your job. I'm not, as I said, we, there's, yeah. there's a lot of luck and, and obviously a lot of hard work involved in exploration. I think I, think I would say I've been very lucky. I've, I've chosen countries where the competition, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the first in. So in, early in those, in the early days of my career in the 80s and probably, you know, through to the mid 90s, I picked countries where you, the low hanging fruit was still there. <laughs> it's got a little more yeah. challenging these days. So, yes. you know, we found we found gold deposits in Nicaragua, in Honduras, in Guatemala, silver deposit in Mexico, which helped to, you know, help to build Fortuna silver mines to what it is today. But um, it is certainly more challenging and the politics have got way, way more difficult in many, many countries, even in North America. But I right. still enjoy the industry and, and, and I like to work with people that, 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 that thrive on exploration. So. We would never really have a joint, you know, a, a project generated model completely because the people that work with me and myself, we love discovery. You throw in the political challenges that we've seen over the last few years, uh, more so recently, and then you throw in a bear market with it. And even the difficulty with respect to getting a project permitted and developed in production, the challenges that you have as an operator and developer there, but also we've seen this spill over into just the exploration area where even exploration success in these tough jurisdictions is being discounted. And that's one of the things that we've seen over the years here is it's just getting difficult, whether, you know, there used to be kind of this thinking that, you know, discovery, even in a tough jurisdiction, yes, you could get some value out of that, but it seems even more so discounted. I don't know if it's the bear market, Simon, or if it's just the difficulty of the jurisdiction, but what are your thoughts on just, you know, trying to squeeze value out for shareholders at this point? Yeah, no, it is it's definitely more challenging, definitely more challenging. And again, you can look at a, a, you know, a company such as Snowline up in the Yukon that recently made a great discovery and you, you know you, you can still get that bang for the buck by by investing in juniors and that are that are doing good work but yeah it, you know kind of in the present market sometimes you take a look at people companies putting out good results and it seems that just the good results all it does is create liquidity for people to sell the stock when is that going to change and that changes when you start when you get into the bull market which i do think that this year has got a good feeling about it i, I don't really know about the you know whether recessions drive the gold price higher or, or whatever, but I do think it feels that gold is going to break through 2000 and maybe higher than that, and which, which could, I think would create the bear market we've, we've been waiting for for some years. Yeah. It's I'm up to the people running the companies to keep the, keep the companies financed and whether it's a tough market or soft. I mean, like I said, Radius has not been back to the market to raise funds for, for 10 years now. And I think if you keep the GNA down and you can keep generating concepts that you can, that you can, you know, finance a company by selling the, selling the early stage discovery or that you don't think is going to be that big one. Um, that's a way to keep the company financed also. Right. It's a tightrope. I mean, the financing side, the awareness side, getting the word out there. You've seen companies that often trade less than cash just because of the discount that's applied for GNA expenses and knowing that costs are going to continue to be on the books. And all of these things really play into so much of it. And I'm in the same camp as you are in terms of the gold price. Definitely, this is going north of 2000. You know, you can question a little bit when, but I think it is fairly close. But yeah, we should have some good conditions here to start seeing some more excitement in the junior market and more certain companies respected better over others, as you know. 
why don't we skip over to volcanic gold mines? Why don't we cover that? And then I'm going to come back and close up with Rakla and then a few other questions. But talk about okay. volcanic briefly and the projects there. Yeah, so volcanics, I studied volcanic by, um, Radius worked in Guatemala for quite a while and we built up a, a very good land position there. So I just, let me back up back to Cerro Blanco again. We discovered Cerro Blanco, sold it, and then we went back into the country, I don't know the year, but we started, we, you know, the, the politics changed in Guatemala, you just, you just could not work there. I sold, made, it, made a discovery and sold it to a, a, a mining guy, Dan Capas, Capas Cassidy. He put it in production at a small scale and rolled and radius had a good royalty on it, but then the government shut down the mine and it shut down, you know, another mine, Escobar, a big silver mine too. So I couldn't justify spending more money in the country. So radius refocused on Mexico. Years went by, we continued doing what we do in Mexico and made some good discoveries and some good joint ventures. But then about two years ago, the a new, no more than that, actually three and a half years ago, a new government came into Guatemala that was pro-mining. They wanted foreign investment. They wanted to get the mining industry back up and running again. So, you know, I decided to get back into Guatemala again, but I didn't, we just had some good properties in Mexico and I didn't want to dilute the discoveries we had there by picking up this big land position in Guatemala again. So I, I financed a shell in my office for Volcanic. I raised 30 million for Volcanic to go back and take on Radius's projects in Guatemala. Uh, so we started working there about three years ago, picked up the, you know, we had the, an option on radius. I think we have about, we had about 300,000 hectares under application. Some, some were granted, some of the concessions, the Holly property and the Banderas property were granted. Volcanic took an option on those properties with the first right on all the other ground that radius had in the country. We, and we made a good discovery the Holly, on the Holly property. Uh, we put a bunch of holes in. I think we, to date, we have about 400,000 ounces at nine grams. And this is about 35 kilometers north of the Cerro Blanco gold deposit, which was being built by the Mandine group, as I mentioned before. Unfortunately, they're having a very, very difficult time permitting the Cerro Blanco deposit. I think they will get there this year. I'm very optimistic. Um, I've read some articles in the newspapers in Guatemala. They're finally realizing that, you know, they need work. Yes, they need all those thousands of people that got laid off from the Escobar deposit to go back to work again. It's getting to the point where we'll we'll see Cerro Blanco permitted, but the fact that the, the pro mining government has failed to do that for the last two years really has had me slow down in Guatemala. I can't I mean the company's still well financed. It's got six and a half million cash in the treasury. We've got that good discovery, you know, four hundred thousand ounces at nine grams, about 35, 40 kilometers north of the mine that's supposed to be built by now. And we have another good discovery further north in an area called the, the Motagua North Zone. We just found a belt of, of, you know, this is a different than the volcanic belt. This is an orogenic gold belt. There's a major structure cuts through the country. And we're finding a lot of free gold there. I'm, I've been working hard for a year and a half now to get those concessions granted. But the, you know, the anti-mining government that was in previously in Guatemala has made it very challenging to get concessions granted. You have to go through a whole process, almost equivalent to building a mine just to get an exploration concession. So really until those the the, the, the Robin Hill concessions are, are, are granted and, and um, I see Bluestone get into production, I've just reduced costs in Guatemala quite a bit. We're advancing the Holly property through the studies to get an exploitation license and we're waiting for the concessions to the north where we have this new discovery to become granted. I'm optimistic that could happen in the last few months. Meanwhile, 
of reduced expenditures, the stock sitting quietly at 25 cents. So we have a we have a market cap of just over 10 million and six million cash with those with those two discoveries. So, I, you know, I think if you we start seeing Bluestone get its permit to build that mine, we'll still Volcanic is a great investment. For the moment, it's sitting quiet. It's been sitting at this price range for quite a while. I'm looking in other countries, but I, I'm so keen on what we have in Guatemala that I'm that I don't want to take it anywhere else until you know we get through another three to six months. And if we see some changes, then I think Volcanic has got a great shot. I appreciate that, and we'll see what the Lundin Group can do over there with respect to Bluestone and. It's definitely been a challenge, and I know investors are uh, pretty negative with respect to Guatemala, and I can see why, and quite a challenging environment outside of all the other countries we've discussed and, and more. As you look at the map there, Peru has a lot of challenges here. Ecuador seems to be shaping up a little bit better, and we've seen problems, of course, as you know, in Honduras, Nicaragua. Even now, Panama's uh, in the news yeah. with respect to Cobra de Panama and First Quantum, and some silliness there as well, which is uh, sad for everybody. Um, yeah, it is. And again, I mean, I was talking to a news, I was trying to get a news, news article written in Guatemala about what happens to it. I mean, people talk about the, you know, Escobar, the amazing discovery. Actually, to be honest, a bit of story about that. I did find the vein. I didn't find the deposit, though. I found the vein way back when in, in Mao West and sold the company when I made the discovery in, in Honduras. But anyway, bottom line is Escobar is a huge silver deposit, 350, 400 million ounces in Guatemala, was put into production employed kind of a thousand people and then the, the government shuts the mine down but just imagine the life of those thousand people that are working there i mean they you know finally got a full-time job they, they they start building their own house they take a mortgage they put the kids in school and then the mine gets shuts down three years ago so all those people individuals going bankrupt kids go back to peasant living again from from having a, a regular job i mean it's it's brutal what these governments can do to the populations of their own countries Yes, sad. there's not a lot of stuff in line as replacement work in these areas. So the industry is obviously it's a critical industry as it is everywhere. And as we continue to go through the issues with respect to energy globally and, you know, things like climate change, et cetera, puts the focus right back on metals and mining and how important metals and mining is to everything in economies and into human advancement. It's just absolutely the backbone of everything. The devices we're chatting on, the infrastructure everything is tied to metals and mining european countries like sweden and finland and norway you know the, the left-wing groups in those areas financing this this anti-mining sentiment in in these small countries like central america i yes. don't know if they understand the damage they're doing to, to people's lives there when they put money into these these groups and let's put them in a shack and let's let them experience what they forgot as they continue to, yeah. I guess, what go they up the food they chain and become, yeah. they become very comfortable and then they forget uh, or they never experience, depending on who you're talking about, what it's like to be in that situation. And I can tell you there's a huge divergence with respect to the perspectives on this issue and the opinions. But uh, definitely it's clear you and I could talk all day about that one and how yeah. terrible it is. Um, yeah. Maybe before we get to Rackley here, let me ask you this. Uh, been in the sector a long time. Is there any other people that you found to be very successful, um, enjoyed working with that are still in the sector, that still have the, the hungry motivation to succeed and create value for shareholders? Are there anybody else out there, Simon, that you know you think our audience should pay attention to? I'd have to give it a bit of thought, but I think there's, I think there's a lot, actually. I sat in a panel a few days ago, and... and uh... 
and it was a panel on the on this the, the tombstone belt in in which where I'm, where Rackler was working right now. So I'll, I'll lead into Rackler with this, but you know, so I sat on a panel with with guys like you know the Scott Burdell. I mean, he's a he's a geo from the Yukon. He's, I've known his father for a long, long time. He's, he was a Yukon. His father still in is a Yukon prospector. You know, Scott grew up prospecting at a very, very young age and then went to university, became a geologist. They've got a, he's very driven. They've got an amazing discovery up in Yukon. They probably staked and, and you know, prospected 10% of that whole territory over the over the 30 or 40 years of, of, of knowing the father. But, um, you know, so, the, but I sat on a panel with, with, with three or four young people like Scott who were just driven to, to make discovery. They're just, just a, so I think there's a lot. I think there is a, you know, the Vancouver Exchange has changed a lot of, of the TSX, I'm sorry, as it was now, it used to be the Vancouver Exchange. And there was, you know, there was, I think, a, a significant percentage of the of the companies that are run on the on the TSX now are, are, are driven to be successful, a lot, a lot more than was the case 20 years ago. I don't think there's that many people that make them lifestyle companies anymore. There's a lot of, a lot of good people out there. I don't want to name any because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not that tuned into it. I focus on my own companies mostly, but there's some, you, you know, do your research on management and it's yeah. not that hard to look, to find, to pick the good one. Well, Simon, I bring that up because uh, had a prior discussion with Rick Clark and Rick Clark, I think provided on that discussion, if I recall, provided you as a good friend and a person to follow in the sector and any thoughts on Mr. Rick Clark? Yeah, no, Rick's a great guy. He's uh, he's had some amazing discoveries over the last over the last uh, ten or twenty years. We, you know, when I first came down from Yukon and wanted to wanted to get my first company public, Rick was a lawyer, a bull as a topper, and he and he took on. You know, I didn't have the money to pay the lawyer to write the prospectus. He took it on and was going to get paid if if I was successful getting it the company listed. So we have a lot, of, nothing but good to say about Rick. His present company, Montage, is, is doing an amazing job in uh, West Africa. I think that's going to be a very successful company. I think he'll he'll have another great sale. I mean, Rick sold, you know, Redback for some seven billion dollars, and he just recently had a good, great discovery in the um, in the Sudan. No, yep. wonderful man. What do you think is you know as you progress in your career? Because you again, you've been here for quite a while. You've been in the junior sector for a long time. You've made discoveries. You know you've probably benefited quite well off of those over the years. You know as you get older and you start to see that experience show through, and you and you start to put that into the companies that you're running today. You know how does that compare with respect to a younger Simon out there motivated to go and do things in the sector? Do you have that same drive now, Simon? Is there more of a comfortable position in terms of you know what you're doing with these companies, or what are your thoughts as you progress through the cycle of your position and being in the sector for so long? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm certainly more comfortable, and the, the the drive is still there to make discovery, but I try to put that drive onto the geos that, that I that I work with, right, or that I employ. You know, I've just bought a new a new VPX into into Rackler. Scott Castleman is his name. He's you know he's uh, he seems to be driven for discovery. Bruce Smith that works with me in in Radius, the president of Radius, again, excellent. You know, very motivated. Just wants to discover. So I I think I, I try to pass that down to the people. You know, not pass it down, but I try to employ people below me that have got that drive that I used to have. I still love being in the field. And I still love to do the research that which which led to the the, the ground that uh, Rackler's got up in the Yukon. I mean, sometimes I have, I have a, a reasonable nose, I think, for coming up with concepts that, that seem to pay off. 
but and I the people that I employ, I like to see the same in in them, right? They're, they're generating ideas all the time, like Bruce is in in radius in Mexico, you know, all the time doing that research and and getting into the field and prospecting it and seeing if his his ideas are bear fruit. Very well. The wisdom transfer, experience transfer down the line is really important. And, and I think a lot of the times folks don't necessarily do that and, and it should be done more. And it's important to try to to move that wisdom down to people that you think are capable of taking that on and bringing things forward as we transition out and you know retire from the business. I think it's important to keep that talent, keep it yeah. moving ahead. That needs to happen a lot more. How about uh, just Rackla? You mentioned that briefly. Why don't you just talk briefly about Rackla and the work in the Yukon and Northwest Territories? Uh, talk about that one for a moment. Basically, Rackla, you know, I was down at a conference with the Rick Rules Conference in Boca Raton sometime, sometime last fall, um, or last summer, probably July, I think it was. And I met a radio shareholder. And we, went, we went for lunch and he mentioned, uh, he mentioned he'd, he'd you know, he had an investment in a company called Snowline and the stock had gone way up and he sold it thinking it would it would ease up a little bit and but it just kept going up and he, he was sorry it sold and I but really hadn't heard much about Snowline until that point. So when I got back to my room I took a look at it. And it got a discovery in the these tombstone sweet intrusive. There's a belt of rocks that cuts through the intrusive rocks that cuts through the from Alaska all the way to the eastern edge of the tombstone of sorry of the Yukon territory called the tombstone sweet intrusive. They can host some very, very large gold deposits. The, the, the gold deposits are sheeted vein systems within the intrusive body itself or in the adjacent sedimentary rocks that, that surround it. When I took a look at Snowline's discovery and where it was, um, way over in the eastern side of the Yukon, I decided to do a bit of research. I knew the belt well because my first company was called Tombstone because it was in the same suite of rocks but on the western side of the Yukon territory. There was a there was some belief, and in, in the geological papers that were written, that as the belt transitioned over to the eastern side of the territory, it became more tungsten rich and gold poor. But obviously, this discovery that was made by Snowline was showing that wasn't always the case. This was in the eastern Yukon. So I pulled up the geological maps and, and, and using my knowledge and, and online, and I and I saw that the belt of rocks I knew it transferred into the Northwest Territories. And the Yukon Territory is challenging to stake ground in certain areas right now because a lot of it's restricted because of because of um, First Nations land claims and other complications. So I began looking at the Northwest Territories and the same suite of rocks were there. And as I did some research, uh, there were some prospects that had been worked on by Newmont and, and a couple of other companies. And it had, they had some very, uh, very good geologic um, Geochemical signatures. These these tombstones with intrusives are gold bismuth tellurite. So they have a particular geochemical signature in the stream sediments and the soil samples. So I began to research the work that had been done by these companies, and they seem to have focused specifically on the sedimentary rocks that surround these intrusives. And they were looking for a different model. They were looking for the Carlin style sediment hosted gold deposits. But the geochemistry of the results they got told me that. They were, these were intrusive hosted prospects. And they, they spent a lot of money and a lot of time generating data, but then not following it up until the target that was identified by that data. So I was able to go into the territory and, in the, in the, you know, and I called Bruce and said, Bruce, we got a job to do. So we flew up into the Yukon and we went staking. And I hadn't been back there for sort of 15 years. So I'd, I'd love to be back in those mountains again. It's actually a gorgeous country. 
And we picked up some ground that would have previously been worked by Newmont that has, has got a very, very exciting target on it. The project was now owned by a project generator of the royalty company called Origin Royalties. So I made a deal with Origin to pick up this ground that Newmont had worked previously in 2017, 2018, and staked some ground around that and, and then made some other joint ventures with a couple of other juniors that, that had got ground in, the, in that, just on the border or across the border in the NWT. And we picked up, you know, a great land position with a very exciting target, the, the Astro target. We'll be up there and, and drilling it in when the snow is gone in June this year. Take a look at Snowline, you know, and there's a number of other companies with discoveries in the Yukon in the same tombstone belt. Banyan Resources is one. I think Banyan personally up to 4 million ounces. I think the Snowline Discovery will get... I personally, I think it's going to be between five and ten million ounces. This, this is just my prediction. It's, they're certainly not there yet, but they have some. They have had some fantastic holes. So this belt is is proving to be very prospective, and I've got some very good prospects within the belt in the Northwest Territories. So I'm quite excited about that play. And Scott Castleman is just coming as a, as the VPX. He's worked in Yukon for the last. Uh, probably up and on for the last 20 or 30 years, but he, the last seven years has been head of the Geological Survey of the Yukon. You know, he, he wanted a job so he could be at home for a while while his kids were home. Now they've all gone off to university, he wants to get back in the field again, so he's just joined me as the VPX of the company. Yeah, I'm excited. It's a, it, it'll, be a, it'll be a good a good summer, I think, a good ex, good exploration project anyway. Very exciting. Four million cash and about 52 million shares out. Appreciate the overview on that and encourage the audience. Uh, you know, again, we just touched just briefly on these companies, but encourage the audience to look those up and do some of their own due diligence on looking at these here. And I'm sure you have an opinion on it because you've seen this develop over the years. And I think good stewards of these projects and environment have always done a nice job with respect to corporate social responsibility and things like community efforts and so forth, government uh, efforts as well. Talk about your view you know, community efforts in general, and then also just talk about the importance of this for you. And then, of course, your overall view of CSR, or maybe you use the new term now, ESG. Yeah, ESG. Well, I'm actually, my daughter's just joining me and working for the companies and studying in ESG. It's obviously very important, but it's it's always been important to me. In all those years of working in Central America and, and early on before that in, in Venezuela, I mean, trying to create employment in these parts of the world where there isn't any has always been part of the drive it was you know i'm driven for exploration for sure i love the i love the i love the exploration industry but the, the fact that i could generate the kind of employment i have in these towns where the people haven't never had a job in their lives was, was always a, a big part of of the drive for me after i realized the changes i could make you know san martin depositing i found the san martin gold mine in, in, in Honduras, it was put into production by Glamis. It was in production for nine or 10 years. I watched the changes in the small towns around there. I watched the, you know, the drilling companies come in and train, train people in those towns how to drill, and then they're working in other countries for the same drilling companies later on. It's always been important to me to try to generate as much work as you can in those local towns, you know, rather than employing a D8, get 20 people trying to clear the road up instead of instead of using helicopters, use mules and, and get it, you know, get in the people that, that that have those animals generate employment there. It's it's a it's a big part of the industry, I think. And and that's why these countries need the, that that work. They're just undeveloped. You 
it'd be amazing how poor some of some parts i'm sure you know of you're living in panama but how poor some parts of these countries even small countries like central america how how life can change within you know 50 kilometers from the cities where people are just basically substance living right they, they eat what they grow and that's it the importance of being able to generate employment in those areas and and, and see people get trained and, and then go to work internationally was very pleasing it's always been a big part of it i like your insights on this and you know yeah anybody who's going to have a strong opinion one way or the other with respect to communities and societies and things like climate change and all this other energy really should parachute themselves into a village and really get to understand about the world outside of their own little bubble in some well-built city certainly worth uh, having a full perspective simon and this line of business is one of those that provides people with the opportunity to really get that global perspective and not just become uh, have really a limited view and experience uh, from their armchair appreciate that and certainly it's a, an interesting area and it's going to continue to be a very important thing going forward I think people have to be careful with the weaponization of ESG. Outside of that, being a good steward is something that we've already been doing and we don't need necessarily for the people who know this and have operated well in this regard, don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel, if you know what I mean. No. So, no. you know, you've been in here for quite a while in the sector. You've accomplished a lot already. In the years ahead here, um, before you exit the sector, what would you like to accomplish to finish up? Hmm. Yeah, I guess I guess getting some getting some people working with me that take on take on what I do, you know, this to keep the goal group going with people that do the same thing and have the same motivation that I have, that would be that would be a good feeling. Making a discovery back in back up in the tombstones again would also be feel like going full circle somehow. I'm very happy to be back up there working. And I would like to see the projects I have in Guatemala going into production, you know. The, the, the discoveries I've made there, the, the, the sort of blank hole is now a four or five, you know, it's probably got a 10, 15 million, 15 year mine life. If, it, if the London is getting in production, it'll generate, change that whole area of the country. Yeah. And I still, I, I mean, retirement is something I don't really think of a lot of. I, I think I'm, I'd let's step back, have people take over the gold group and step back a little bit, but to, to grub stake people with ideas and so that would be quite satisfying. Just do it on a slow, smaller basis. Don't have an office. Just go up, take people with ideas and see them be successful. Well, to wrap up here for potential investors who are listening in, you've got three of these companies within the group. Radius with about a 17 million market capitalization. Volcanic with a 10 million and Rackla at 14 million, all Canadian dollars, of course. What would you say to potential investors who are listening in about considering the group and the companies? Well, I think the, you know, for me at the moment, the the most exciting one is, is Rackler because I've just picked up this ground in a, in, a, in, a, in a territory that I love, in rocks that I love working in. And I think if it's elephant country, so if we make a discovery, it'll, it will be very significant. But Volcanic is sitting there well-financed with the discovery made it's, it's not built into its market cap at all. One that's been made, the Holly, yes, it is, it's only 400,000 ounces, but it's very high grade and it's very close to a mine that would love to take it on. And we have a second discovery in Volcanic up in that Motagua Norte belt where we have, you know, 20 kilometers of, of rocks with a lot of visible gold in them. We really don't understand the genesis of it yet because we haven't been able to trench or drill it at this point. And radius is stable. You know, we have, as I said, we haven't been to the market of finance radius in, in 
over 10 years. So, you know, we've got two majors advancing projects for us and we're still generating ideas there. So, you know, they're all high risk doing what we do, exploring, trying to make that discovery to get the company sold to a major. And Simon, the best way for investors to reach out to Gold Group Management? Contact me, Simon Ridgway, by email at the office 604-801-5432. Or you can talk to Adam Buchanan, who's a VP of Development of the three companies at that same number. Well, Simon, thanks for taking the time with us here. Best of luck at the companies, and we'll look forward to having you back on sometime in the future. Andrew, it was great talking to you. Thanks for the invite.